You know, we talk about giving, and sometimes we only think of that in terms of writing a check and giving our money. Um, but, but, you know, it's so much more than that. Why are we doing these things? You know, why is Shepherd's Heart handing out food or clothing? Or why does the Minister Alliance and these agencies partner together and the churches come together and try to do this? And, and sometimes it's real easy to say, well, you know, that organization does that or that church does that. And we remove ourselves from, from those things. But the church doesn't exist without you. There's no shepherd's heart without the people who make up shepherd's heart. Uh, there's no church without the people who are the church. Somebody makes it possible for, for us to do these things. And, and the people that are receiving it might not understand who's behind that. And that's okay. Because the reality is the most important thing for them to understand is that God is behind this. That someone's giving makes it possible for me to stay in a hotel room tonight instead of under a tree in 32 degree weather. Or someone made it possible for me to get gas to, you know, make it to the hospital or make it to wherever, you know, as I'm trying to make my way back. That Someone made that possible, and they did that in the name of Christ. They did that out of a heart of generosity. Well, all of that is really great, but it needs to be, we need to understand that those are just opportunities for us to really reach into people's lives. And, and reaching into their life might be nothing more than praying for them. You know, I've encountered people, and, and you talk to them, and... You know, people that live, a lot of the people that, that I encounter in these situations, this is kind of the lifestyle they live. So transient people, or you, some, you, know, you call them homeless or transient, um, they know the right answer. So I'm a pastor, and it's every pastor's obligation to ask these, you know, the people you come in contact with, do you know Jesus? So they know the question is coming, and they know that the answer they need to give is, yes, I know Jesus. And sometimes, yes, I know Jesus really is, you sense and that they really do know Jesus. Sometimes, yes, I know Jesus is the answer because they give you because they don't want to, talk, they don't want to have this conversation. And it doesn't matter what you do, they're not going to have this conversation with you. Well, what do you do with someone like that? Well, that might be your opportunity, number one, to, to share, to pray, to love them. But how do we do that with one another? I mean, it's not just homeless people and needy people and people that come to get a bag of groceries. You know, this is why this gathering today is important because... The writer of Hebrews says, let us consider one another as we come together to provoke one another to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the, the custom of some, and even more as we see the day approaching. Do we perceive the 
the needs that are here. I mean, there may be needs here that we can't see because we know how to come in and put our face on and put our clothes on and we come in here and put our smile on and we sing and, and we leave and no one really knows what our need is. Maybe they don't know because I don't want someone to know what my need is because of my pride or because of whatever, fear. Or maybe they don't know because we're so preoccupied with other things that we're not in tune enough to look at a person and see a need and go to that person and say, are you okay? How's, how's everything going? And when they give you the pat answer and something in your spirit just says, that's not true. That's the pat answer. That's the answer we're all supposed to give. And you know in your spirit something just doesn't feel right. And you say, really, are you, are you doing okay? Can I pray for you? I just want you to know I love you. I mean, you know, we do two or three minute meet and greet. You really can't do that in a two or three minute meet and greet. But, but, but maybe, maybe you do encounter someone in the two or three minute meet and greet. Maybe you need to call that person. Maybe you need to say, hey, can I talk to you after service? This is the importance of, of taking the opportunity to, to be together, to spend time together, to fellowship together, not, not just for an hour and a half, but to get to know one another. You say, what does all of this have to do with a revelation of Christ? Because this is what we're talking about today. Those people that we help, those people that, uh, that we look at and we say, well, they're homeless. Boy, they need Christ. They need a revelation of Christ. Well, that's easy, right? We look at the sinner out there and, and who's living a life totally and completely contrary to God. It's easy to look at that person and say, boy, they need a revelation of Christ. But what about the church? What about us who profess faith in Christ? Who come week in and week out and we, we know all the right words to say and all the right songs to sing. What about us? Do we need a revelation of Christ? I'm going to tell you right now we do. Not because I haven't gotten one before. But because the revelation of Christ that I need is not a, a one-time event, it is an ongoing truth. It's an ongoing revelation. To make known the manifold wisdom of God. What does that mean? How do we define that? That's not, you can't define that. How do you define the wisdom of God? It's, 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 it's beyond description. Because it's infinite. How do you describe the face of God, the beauty of God, the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, the wisdom of God? There's no finite description for those things because he's infinite. So what kind of revelation do I need of an infinite God? I need an infinite revelation. That means the revelation I got yesterday is great and I'm glad I got it. But I need one today. The beauty that I saw yesterday in the face of Christ, 
The glory I saw in his face yesterday is wonderful. But I need to see that glory and that beauty today. I need to see him today. This is why when God gave manna to the children of Israel in the wilderness, he only allowed the manna to be good for that day. I mean, what, really and truly, wouldn't it have been easier? I mean, we're talking about God here. I mean, God can do anything he wants. God could have given them manna and it could have, it could have lasted all 40 years. He could have given them manna that would have stayed just as fresh in year 40, as it was in day one when they picked it up. I mean, do you believe God was able to do that? Sure he was. But why didn't he? Because that manna, though it really did sustain them physically, that manna spoke of something much greater than physical bread that satisfies physical hunger. And God, I believe, I know God gave them manna that was only good for a day because he never wanted his children, his people to think that who he was and what he is, his glory, all that he is, is finite. He's infinite. And so just like the manna in the wilderness, it's good today, but it's no good tomorrow. Every day, I've got to get fresh manna. The revelation I get today is for today, but I can't live today on yesterday's revelation. If you understand what I'm saying. God is a God who doesn't change. What we learn, what we know of him, it, it's progressive. It's cumulative, if we can say it that way. I don't discount what I, what I know of him from yesterday or a week ago or 20 years ago. I don't discount that. I don't throw that away. That has been given to me as a grace of God. But I can't just live today on what he gave me yesterday and say that's good enough. Oh, yeah, Jesus, you know, I spent 20 years learning about Jesus and now I know everything there is to know and I don't need to know any more about Jesus. We would never say that, would we? I mean, we know better than that. Yet, sometimes we live like that. We would never say that if we, if we really understand who God is and what he calls us to, we can never just come out and say that. We would know that something's not right about that. I can't just say, well, I know all there is to know about God and I don't need to know anymore. Or, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I know him. I'm good. Really? He's infinite. This is why you'll, you'll never be bored. In all eternity, you'll never be bored. Because you're never going to see, you're never going to come to the end of God. You're, you're never going to come to the end of the knowledge of God because God has no end. 
Well, let's go back to the beginning of God. Well, where is that? Not only does he have no end, he has no beginning. He is the infinite one. We, we, can't, we can't comprehend that very well. Because that's not the world we live in. We live in a world filled with finite things. The car you're driving is going to last a finite amount of time. I don't care how good you take care of it. The clothes you're wearing, they're going to last a finite amount of time. The food in your refrigerator, though some of us keep it longer than others. People laugh at me because I love leftovers and... How long has that been in there? About, about a week. Ah, oh, it's good. <laughs> now, a month? I eh, think the dog needs to eat that. <laughs> you know? I mean, we live in a world filled with finites. Things don't... You know, everything in our life is finite. That's temporal. But God is not finite. God is infinite. The life you have in Christ is infinite. It's eternal. The knowledge we are to have of Christ, there are no finite limits on it. It is infinite because he is. It is eternal because he is. So when I talk about a revelation of Christ, I'm not talking about something you, you or I learned yesterday or last week or last month or five years ago. I'm talking about living with a sense that I am an eternal being. You are an eternal being. You are a, a being that, that is not defined by the finite or the temporal around you any longer. You're living in it. I'm living in it. This body is finite. My body's going to wear out and die one day. But I will live for all eternity. Why? Because my life is not defined by my body. My life is defined by Christ. Christ is my life. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. So Paul is praying. Ephesians 1.17. Here's his prayer. That I pray for you always. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory and to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ dwell in your... In your I'm so sorry, I'm in, I'm in uh, three. We're going to go there. Um, we're actually going to read that, but let's start in verse 1 first. I mean chapter 1 first. Chapter 1, verse 17, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is the body, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now go to Ephesians 3, 
verse 17. Now, I hope you remembered some of the things we talked about last week, about that scripture we just read. What does that mean? What does that represent? Where am I in that? He's placed all things under his feet. We are his body. We are seated with him in heavenly places. All things have been put under him. Therefore, all things have been put under us. Yet we don't see all things under him. We see Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't have to see all things put under him. But I must see Jesus. And if I see Jesus, then I see the one who is head over all and the one who has the name above all names and the one who has been placed above all power and all principality and above every name. As long as I see Jesus, I'm okay. I don't have to see all things under him. I just know in seeing Jesus, all things are under him. This is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Ephesians 3.17 Here's another prayer, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know, there's that word, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you may know. That word means to know fully. He says, I pray that you would know. Know what? That you would know the width, the length, the depth, the height. To know the love of Christ. That can only come by a revelation. And revelation can only come by the Spirit of God. You can't get hyped up enough to get a revelation. Your flesh will never produce a revelation because revelation is spiritual and flesh is flesh. And flesh will never become spiritual. I don't care how well behaving you are. I don't care how well trained your flesh is. Your flesh is flesh and it will always be flesh. And it's going to pass away and it will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter how spiritually trained you think your flesh is. Like the Pharisees thought theirs was. They, it's still flesh. In a revelation of Jesus Christ will never come by the flesh. It can only Come by the Spirit of God. And this is why Paul is praying, I pray that you would know. Why? I pray that God would grant you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? Because your knowing is only going to come by the Spirit. It ain't going to come by the flesh. It's not going to. So we need a revelation of Christ. And I'm not talking about knowledge of religion or doctrines of men or the institutions or the denominations of men. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a knowledge of Christ, a revelation of Christ that comes by the Spirit of God. And that revelation has got to be a seeing, a knowing of the person. This isn't a theory. 
We're not talking about knowing a set of rules. We're not talking about knowing good principles and good practices. The revelation that Paul prayed that the believers would receive, the truth that Jesus said you must know in order to be free is, is a person. That's why he went on to say, I am the truth. In other words, he said, I'm the truth that sets you free. I am the way. I am the door. The way, the door, the truth. It's a person. His name is Jesus. We need to see Jesus. We need a revelation. When I say we need a revelation, this is what I'm talking about. We need to see Jesus. Not just know here, but know here. If I know here in my heart, in the depth of my spirit, in my soul, if I know here, I will know here. I will. Our salvation is a person. The scriptures are not a compilation of history and poetry and rules and regulations for us to live by. The scriptures were given to us. They were written for us. They were preserved for us. They were passed down to us to reveal to us a person. His name is Jesus. Everything in this book speaks of a person. That's why the last book in this thing we call the Bible is called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. God culminated his word with a book that was all about revealing the person of Jesus Christ. We get, we get all hooped up about the Antichrist. You think Christians are more, more in tune with the Antichrist and demons and things like that than we are the very person this book is about. This book is to reveal Christ to us. The revelation that Paul prayed for was that they would come to know and to see and to experience a person. His name is Jesus. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? Motivation can come by the flesh, but revelation can only come by the Spirit of God. So when we say Someone needs a revelation. When I say Christ fellowship, we need a revelation of Christ. You might say, hey, I, knew, I, I came to know Christ years ago, Sonny. Well, I did too. 1984 is when I consciously became aware of my surrender to Jesus Christ. Thank God Jesus Christ was aware of me long before uh, that night, July 19th, 1984. But that night was the night that God gave me the revelation. That was the night that I came to see and to know and to understand that what God wants for my life is for me to come to a person, not a religion, not a denomination, not a set of rules and regulations or a belief system that I can call my own now. What God did for me that night was he opened my blind eyes and he revealed to me a person and he said, this, this is what I have for you, my son. If you don't know anything else, know the son. Know that you know the son. And don't, 
in your ease and in your complacency think that your knowledge of the Son that you gained however many days, weeks, months, or years ago is sufficient. Listen, He is sufficient. But are we so easily satisfied with lesser things that there is not a hunger and a desire in us to know this person, this Son of God, this Lord of glory, who came from heaven to earth and made himself available to us? Is there not something in us that yearns for him, that hungers and thirsts for him, that as we see him, there is something in us that desires to see a greater measure. As we have come to know him, that there is something in us that yearns to know him in a deeper way. Is that in us? Christian, is that in you? That's the revelation I'm talking about. That's the hunger and thirst that Jesus talked about when he stood on that mount and he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What does it mean to hunger and to thirst for righteousness? I'll tell you what it means. It means to hunger and to thirst for Jesus because he is our righteousness. He was the one who knew no sin but was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness in him. He is our righteousness. Is there something in us that yearns, that yearns for him, that hungers for him, that desires him? Is there? That's the revelation, that's the seeing, that's the knowing that I'm talking about. To come to know Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit with all our heart and to love Him. Jesus was asked this question, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Here's His answer, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. To know Him. We pray for revival. We pray for transformation to take place. What are we praying for? When we say we're praying for revival come to the church, or transformation to come to the church. What are we praying for? Are we praying for more exciting services? Are we praying for services where we get in here at 10.30 and we don't leave till 4.30, but it doesn't bother us because we're so caught up in the Spirit? Some people will call that revival. Hey, I'm not opposed to that. Been there, done that before. <laughs> but if that's all revival is, that's not revival. If, if revival is only about things like that, then we've missed the whole point. What does the word revive mean? It means to make live again. I pray every one of you have experienced revival. Because the moment you were born again, I'm telling you what, revival came to you. Because you were dead and God caused you to live. He brought you from death to life. If that ain't revival, I don't know what is.
So what, what are we praying for? We're praying for the same thing that the Apostle Paul prayed for. After Jesus ascended to the Father. And here is the church left on earth. We go from having an earthly Jesus to now Jesus is gone. And you read the book of Acts all the way through the epistles. And what is happening? These apostles are encouraging. They're praying for the church. They're exhorting the church. That this Jesus who was here and who is not here any longer, though he was dead, he lives. And he lives at the right hand of the Father. And just because he's not walking among us physically doesn't mean he's not alive. And that doesn't mean he's not here. And just because he's not physically here to raise you from the dead, honey, I'm telling you what, you are alive in him. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How are children of light going to walk? I mean, this is what Paul is telling the Ephesians. He said, do you guys understand you once were sons of disobedience? You once were in darkness, but you're not in darkness anymore. Do you know that? Yeah, we know that, Paul. Okay? You once were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In other words, walk it out. Live it. If you're light, then be light. What does that mean? Where, where does that happen? Here's the better question. Where does that not happen? Don't ask where that happens. The question is, where does it not happen? I mean, the easy answer is that, well, that happens when we go to church, right? No? Well, yeah. What about when you go to work? What about when you're taking a shower? Washing the car? Washing the dog? Cooking supper? When does it not happen? If, if you are light, when, do you, when are you not light? Everybody here a human being? Do I have anyone that's not a human being here? Please acknowledge right now. Okay. Besides Hannah. When are you not a human being? I mean, is your humanness defined by where you are and what you do? When are you not a human being? Well, that's stupid, Pastor Jeff. I'm a human being all the time. Oh. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, when are you not a Christian? If you're in Christ, when are you not in Christ? If you once were darkness, but now you are light. If you are light, when are you not light? You see what I'm saying? You understand where I'm going with this? You can't, you can't live in that reality. You can't live with that kind of assurance. You can't do that. Just because you get your flesh all, you can't do that out of the motivation of the flesh. This is why I'm telling you, we don't need motivation, we need revelation. When we pray for revival and transformation to take place in our lives and in the church, this is what we're praying for. God, reveal yourself to us. Listen, if, if your Christianity has become tiresome, if your service of God has just become boring and tiresome and, and oh man, you know, God, I get up and go again, you know. I don't want to, but I guess I've got to. Now, listen, we're human. We all experience those moments, right? 
But those should be moments. That should not define who I am in Christ. That should not define my relationship with Christ. That should not define my relationship with the body of Christ in the church. If we find ourselves in that place, I'm telling you right now, you are lacking a revelation of Christ. Because you're living on old manna. You're living on manna that has gone bad way long time ago. You're, you're eating worms right now. That's what you're doing. And you think it's manna. What's the solution? This is why when you go through the New Testament, you see consistently these prayers and these encouragements and these exhortations. To do what? To see, to know, to understand, to, that your mind would be renewed, that your heart would understand and perceive, that your enlightenment, the eyes of your understanding would be open, that the eyes of your mind would see, that, that you'd be open, that you could receive what? The knowledge to know the love of God, to know the exceeding greatness of the power that works towards you in Him, to know that all things have been placed under, to know that there is no name greater than His name, to know that that though you might be weary, don't grow weary while doing good. For in due season, if you do not lose heart, if you do not faint, you shall reap. That's the promise of God. Why? Why did Paul write that to those believers? You know why? Because they were growing weary. While doing good, they were tired of the persecution. They were tired of the constant struggle. They were tired of the constant opposition. And sometimes it's just easier. If you can't beat them, what? Join them. No. That's exactly what some of the believers were coming to. If you can't beat them, we might as well just join them. Paul says, don't you dare. Don't grow weary while doing good. Don't lose heart. Don't faint. You will reap in due season. See, that word season is important there. These are seasons that we're going through. We're going through a season right now. Our nation, the world is going through a season right now. The church is going through a season right now. Christ's fellowship is going through a season right now. If we don't get a revelation of Christ, we're, gonna see, we're not going to see that all things have been put under him. We're only going to see the things that seem to be above him and above us. And we feel the weight of what seems to be pressing down on top of us. And we are mistakenly beginning to believe that we're under all of these things. Yet the scripture clearly declares that we are above all of these things. And the temptation is to grow weary while doing good. But the admonition of the scripture is don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Don't faint. Because in due season, when this season is over, you will reap. Each of you and your families are going through seasons right now. Seasons are temporary. God is eternal. The trials and tribulations are temporary. They're seasonal. But the promises of God 
are yes and amen. The seasons don't define the promise of God. The promise of God sustains us through the season. So don't get your eyes on the season. Keep your eye on the promise. And this is why we need a revealing of Christ, a revelation, a seeing, a knowing of Him. How are we going to do that? If we don't renew our mind, that will never happen. So we're going to talk about the renewing of the mind next week, okay? Because it's 10 after 12 and you don't want me to talk about it this week. Though I could. If y'all believe revival has come, I can stay here till 4.30. I've got, I mean, I can talk to you all day long if you want to. No. We'll talk about the renewing of the mind next week. This is, this, this is what Paul says, Romans 12. Important scripture. We're going to close with this. Brethren, I beg you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable act of worship. No longer being conformed to this world, but being transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is what we're going to talk about next week as we talk about the renewing of the mind and transformation. Amen? Let's all stand. So what are we praying for? I mean, we're, we're, we're praying for something specific. My prayer is that we would, Christ Fellowship would get a revelation of Christ. That each of you would receive a revelation of Christ. Wherever you are right now, whatever season you might be in, you might be so weary you feel like you're about to faint. Listen, don't faint. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run. They shall not faint. Amen. Father, we ask you right now, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, God, open our hearts and open our minds, enlighten the eyes of our understanding, that we might know what is the hope of your calling and of your inheritance in the saints and the, and the exceeding greatness of your power that works toward us and even in us that we would know, God, the width, the height, the length, the depth of the love of Christ. And Lord, that love would cast out all fear. That love would give us hope to carry on to not lose hope and not lose heart. Father, I pray for the families here and the individuals here today that, God, they would not lose hope and they would not lose heart. Lord, in this very trying season that, Lord, we are going through as a people, as a nation, as a church, as individuals, as families, God, we would not be moved by the things that's taking place all around us, that God, we would see Jesus. We may not yet see all things under him, but God, open our eyes to see Jesus and know that, Lord, yours is the name above all names and that all things have been put under your feet. And the hope that we have is sure and the promise that we have is sure. 
We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your love, your perfect and complete love that you poured out into our hearts. May it take away our fear and give us boldness and confidence in the days that we live. In Jesus' name, amen.